6 a.m. on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America. It's 2 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India, 11 p.m. in Kyoto, Japan, and where I live, Malaysia, it's 1974. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Welcome in, welcome, welcome to all of our friends across the world. We are live on four platforms, Facebook, live, uh, YouTube, live, twitch.tv, and the good folks over at rumble.com. We love our Rumble audience. Thank you to those of you who watch us on Rumble, uh, censorship-free platform. We love what they're doing over there. You'll also, by the way, find me on Getter, where I don't hold back. I hold back on this show because let's just leave it at that. (laughs) But if you want to see the inside to the real dope on who I'm all about, you go to my Getter account and you'll find out. Oh, man. Yeah, we've been promoting ourselves over on Getter, too. So if we have any of uh, my followers on Getter who are checking out the live stream for the first time, welcome in. Also, the video of our show is, of course, available after we're done being live. And you can find that on Facebook, YouTube, Rumble. Uh, Twitch holds it for a week or three and then dumps them. So whatever, Twitch is stupid anyway. I wish I could get rid of it, but I can't uh, for various reasons. But anyway, uh, we are live. And also, we the audio part of our show, of course, is a podcast, which is a, doing very well. Thank you for all the downloads and uh, everything and uh, subscriptions. To our podcast, you'll find us anywhere and everywhere you get podcasts. Spotify, Amazon, Apple, iTunes, Google, Stitcher, Radio Public. We're on all of that. And in India, we're featured on GeoSavn. I hope I said that right. And we have a lot of listeners in India. And thank you to our listeners up and down uh, India. That was a weird noise. Okay. But yeah, a big thank you to our our Indian audience. We really, really, really appreciate you guys uh, listening into our podcast over there. Mohaned the Mighty, greetings to you sons of the elder baboon, landed from far and beyond the moon. And I'm no ordinary buffoon. I'm just here for the show I desire since 12 in the afternoon. (laughs) Okay. Mohanad is a uh, viewer slash listener of ours from Saudi Arabia. We love you to pieces, Mohanad, and I'm glad you uh, managed to get back in on the show tonight. Oh, my. It's a Wednesday. It's the fifth day of January. This month is only five days old. Does it feel like it's crawling? I know one reason, I can't talk about it, but one reason is there's something happening on Friday that I'm really looking forward to. Just trust me on that one, okay? And uh, (laughs) I think that's one of the reasons why time is crawling, because it is crawling. What is not crawling is Chinese New Year. That is coming up 
weeks away. It's really not that far away at all. And that's included in this week's Miko Update. Miko Update. Oh, yeah. Miko Update. And uh, I know this isn't going to look like a Miko Update, but it is. <laughs> we put up our Chinese New Year decorations today. As you know, uh, let me get my mouse back here. Um, we put up the Japanese, uh, I forget what these are called, uh, they, to welcome in the spirits and the good luck. But today we went the whole bangers and we put up all of our Chinese New Year decorations. There's our front door with, the, I made this, by the way. This is a wind chime with a house with some, uh, it's got a, a bird inside. And this is a Japanese symbol for togetherness, family. And these are the uh, fire pit chopsticks from tea ceremony. They're very expensive, by the way. And so I thought they make such a cool noise when they clang together. So I suspended them, put in some eye hooks, got the chains, suspended them down here. It's a little tough to see and uh, made this house. Now, this is like I added to this for Chinese New Year. Um, so, yeah, uh, there you go. There's a close up. You can't see the, uh, the, the metal chopsticks, but they're hanging off these little uh, chains here. And uh, let's see, what else? Oh, this is inside. We've got some Chinese. This fish picture is always on the wall. We just added some to it. And uh, above a work desk here, there is my Japanese museum, which has been Chinified for the new year. But uh, yeah, we've got all kinds of Japanese uh, antiques and um, stuff here on display uh and oh i added this cool banner by the way this is from the little temple on the hill this is about 150 years old this uh, this banner it's uh, yeah very cool and uh, uh of course all dangly things it also lights up at night we just lit it up for the first time but here is why this is part of miko update there she is there is our little girl and she could not care less. She slept through the whole decorating process, was no help at all. And she just actually, when we put the, the lion up hanging above my car, one of the first pictures I showed you, she was interested in that. She was kind of intrigued. And then tonight when we lit it up, she loved the lights. She had all this energy and she was you know, breathing and panting, I should say. Uh, so anyway, but during the day when we were decorating, eh, could not possibly care less. Uh, so that's our Miko slash Chinese New Year update. This year's zodiac is the ox. It is not. This year is the tiger. It is the year of the tiger. Now, I was born on the cusp uh, I was, my birthday is coming up. In fact, January 15th is my birthday. Uh, so I am a Capricorn technically, but it's right, they say on the cusp, which means right at the time when the signs were changing. In Chinese signs, I am a dog. But if you look back at the actual year I was born, I think I'm, I'm, I'm actually a rooster. I, I don't believe in all that crap anyway. But anyway, yeah, so this is the year of the tiger. So eh, we'll see. 
Well, I, whatever may happen, I hope that it's a good one for you. And not to belabor the point, but my favorite thing about this time of year arrived today. And this is it. You know what that is? That is 100% dragon meat. Yes. If you're listening to the podcast, I'm sorry. You'll have to go to the video and check it out. No, it's not candy. It's, uh, it's dragon meat. This is dried dragon meat minced. And it comes... Should I open it? Can I open this? I'm going to anyway. Hold on. I'll show you. Okay? Hang on a sec. It's probably packed and repacked and everything. Oh, wait. I just realized I don't have to open it yet. Hold on, hold on. Let me put this down. I show you. Bing. There you go. Uh, this is what it looks like. This uh, I've tagged a ton of people in this picture. But this on the left is where it, the way it's sold in stores. And uh, this is what the individual packets look like. They're on the right. And it is... Now, people don't believe me because, you know, it's a well-kept secret. But this actually is the meat of real Chinese dragons, which is why it's so expensive. Don't let it get out there. Don't tell anybody. But they call it sometimes pork or chicken. It's a cover. It's a conspiracy theory. This is actually the meat of real Chinese dragons. Very rare, very hard to hunt and catch. And that's why it's only available during the Chinese New Year season. But it's so good. Oh, man, you've got to try this. If you, I, I don't know if it's available wherever you may be listening around the planet, but uh, if, if you can get your hands on some or order some, it ain't cheap. I warned you, it's real dragon meat. But uh, no, it's not cheap, but um, it's beyond good. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is very, my, my, probably my second favorite food after pecan pie. All right, I think we've spent enough time on Chinese New Year. Coffee break. Oh, this mic is very sensitive tonight. You can hear everything, including my disgusting swallows. <laughs> uh, pff, imagine not believing in dragons. Huh, yeah, exactly, Mohammed. Imagine. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. All right, from the sublime to the ridiculous to the unbelievably criminal. This story appeared here in Malaysia this week. And let me just play you the video. This is from Kinney TV. The link is in our show notes tonight. That's the description down below. You'll, uh, you'll always find what we talk about there in the, uh, in the description. But take a look at this freaking moron. This is taken from another... Look at this. You see that? One, two, three kids hanging out of whatever car that is, racing down the highway. Now, this is actually a story. The police have nabbed the woman who was driving the car. She is apparently the mother of these children. And uh, they have nabbed this idiot. 
this is the Malaysian police insignia. This Kidney TV report, you can find it. I encourage you to go and click on the link and listen to the report. I'm just playing that for reference to show you the, uh, the actual video itself. But this is so damn scary. Look at this idiot flying down the highway with, uh, you know, they've got some emoticons on there. But there you can see, look at that. Look at that. Unbelievable. We have a problem in Malaysia, my friends. Um, nearly every time I go driving on the roads, I see idiot parents with kids, all ages, bouncing around the car, jumping on the front seat, going back and forth between the front seat and the back seat, not strapped in wearing their seatbelt. And it is beyond me. I've talked about this before, and I'll continue to talk about it because you're freaking idiots. It is beyond me how you can care so little for your children, for your family, that you would try and literally kill them. Because that is exactly what you're doing when they're not buckled in. I just cannot emphasize enough. And to the police out there, you have to see it too. You have to see it. Stop these people. Whatever are, it's probably not enough. I'm sure it's probably just some ridiculous low-priced summons. But give them the summons. And while you have them stop, check over their car and the rest of her and, and him and see if there isn't something else you can give them summons for. If you have kids and you have them in a car and you haven't buckled them in, you're trying to kill your family. You got to knock that crap off. You have no idea. And you'll be the first ones crying when your children get killed in a car crash. Even a simple car crash at 20, 30 kilometers an hour is enough to kill your kid if they're not buckled in with that seatbelt or a proper child restraint seat. Imagine what would have happened if, if this car hit a bump, whatever, and these kids went flying. Whatever car was coming up behind them, thump, right over top. This woman needs to go to jail, and frankly, in my opinion, she needs to have her kids taken from her. I don't know what the Malaysian version is of child and family services, but whatever it is, you guys need to get involved in this case, and that woman needs to lose her kids, because she is not responsible enough to have children. This is a crime, and something needs to be done. And something needs to be done to get it through your thick craniums, your moronic skulls, to get your damn kids in a car seat or a seat belt if they're old enough. We have a wonderful group of people here in Malaysia, Child Passenger Safety Malaysia. Please look them up. They're online. They're on Facebook. They do free seminars. They'll check your car seats. They'll tell you what car seats are recommended for your car, but get your kids in the seat belts and car seats. If you don't, you're nothing short of trying to kill your family. And something needs to be done. This is insane. Yes, I feel that strongly about it. I've seen too many accident scenes, and I've seen too many dead kids, and it needs to stop. 
I'm very passionate about it. If there's anything I can do to help, child passenger seat, we featured them on one of my shows, uh, Random Acts Malaysia. You can check that out on uh, Facebook. All right. Okay. Time to get off that and go on to the silly stuff. I just, I wanted to spend some time talking about exactly how important it is, because it is. 300,000 ringgit for a fish? Yeah. A Malaysian, this is from World of Buzz, links in the show notes. I encourage you to go check out the story. You're right, Mohanad. Even if they manage to survive death, likely they'll end up with major injuries like paralysis, whatever. It's beyond me. It is beyond me how you cannot care enough about your family. Okay, on to this. Uh, Trunganu, a Malaysian man, sells off his land. Sold his land. Land is very valuable. You know, they ain't making any more of it. If you own land, you're doing all right. He sells his land to buy a fish. 300,000 ringgit. Now I know the ringgit to the USD is not very much. That'd probably be like a dollar two ninety-eight. But no, it's a little more than that. It's about four to one, a little over four to one. But this guy was so into this koi. Now, look, I love koi. One of my neighbors here in my neighborhood uh, where we take Miko for a walk has a, a little pond with tons of koi in it. They're absolutely beautiful. But this guy bought a 300,000 ringgit koi fish. There's a picture of it here. You could buy, literally, you could buy a house for the price of that one. This is not a bunch of fish. This is one fish. It's beautiful. I'll give you that. Unbelievable. We've seen some cases where people use large amounts of money to pay for the things they like. Once they really dedicate themselves to something, they really go for it. And a Malaysian man recently gave it his all, sold a plot of land just to buy this luxurious koi fish. Uh, Due to his obsession over the Sakai Kohaku breed, the man paid 300,000 ringgit for the fish with money he got from selling his land. I sold my land just for the sake of buying the high-quality Sakai Kohaku Koi. And there is a picture of the fish itself. This is the particular breed. They're, They're quite the typical Koi, but they are absolutely beautiful. He's 46 years old, and he's from Kampong Gong Pao, Tranganu, and uh, he's always loved koi, and he decided he was going to get a fancy one, and man, did he ever. Can you imagine that? Yeah, a whole valuable land for a fish. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, read the whole story. It's from uh, World of Buzz, and you uh, good folks over there at World of Buzz. The link is in the show notes if you want to check out all the details about that. We got some strange ones in Malaysia, my friends. <laughs> Actually, we do have some strange ones in Malaysia. In fact, I found this story this week. Mm. You know Jack the Ripper, of course. Everyone's heard of Jack the Ripper from the UK, the serial killer. Did you know that Jack the Ripper 
could have been a Malay cook. Yeah, I know. This story is from Chili Sauce, the great folks over there at chilisauce.my. You will find the link again in our description below in the show notes. But uh, the story as it goes here, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I want you to read it, you know, click on it, check it out yourselves. But apparently some research has shown that uh, there's an article here from way back. It says the Malay cook. Uh, let's see if you'd like, okay. Uh, everybody loves a good murder mystery and the folks at Chili Sauce are no different. We love having ourselves a bit of correct, correct detective. Every now and then distracts us from the drama that goes on in the country. Um, and Jack the Ripper, the granddaddy of all serial killers. Uh, that's not a real photograph, obviously taken for some film or staged, but uh, the guy who generally is believed to be the culprit behind several gruesome murders in London back in the late 1800s, all of his victims were working-class women and their bodies severely mutilated. He was never caught, never identified. There's been a million theories out there and all kinds of videos and documentaries. Oh, we discovered who the real Jack Ripper was. Uh, even till today, people are trying to figure out who done it. Uh, countless theories. Some say it was a doctor, a butcher. There was a Netflix series, a Penny Dreadful, which was a brilliant series. If you've never checked that out, if it's still up there, check it out. Uh, they came up with the theory that Jack the Ripper was actually a werewolf. But in reality, no one has been closer to solving the crime than they were in the 19th century. And there are over a hundred hypotheses about the Ripper's identity. Jack the Ripper may have been a Malay cook. Okay. Uh, the theory's been running the rounds uh, on Reddit. Uh, gathered quite a following among Ripperologists, people who spend time investigating the Jack Ripper case. And it sounds rather random, but uh, there was a newspaper article it says November 18th in Austin, Texas, but I don't see a year. But it says uh, the Malay cook. You can see the headline there, the Malay cook. And um, especially the fact that a Malay cook running on ocean vessels was suspected, called forth a letter to the editor the letter stated that a Malay cook had been employed at a small hotel in Austin in 1885, the date of the Austin assassinations. So there's all these references in this article about a, a cook that was Malay. And um, what does this have to do with Jack the Ripper, a serial killer in Austin, Texas? Well, that happened before Jack the Ripper. And the unknown killer was sensationalized in the press as the servant girl annihilator. It was America's first true serial killer. The story begins in 1888, goes on, and then apparently this guy moved to London. And that's when the Jack the Ripper murders started happening. Yeah. Rewind to August 13th, 1888. 
a sailor named George Dodge met a Malay cook named Alaska, or possibly Laskar, which is an old Malay word for sailor. And um, he claims Alaska told him he'd been robbed by a woman of bad character and that unless he found the woman and recovered his money, he was going to murder and mutilate every Whitechapel woman he met. Dun, dun, dun. You must read this story. It's very intriguing. You get all the details. They did a great job of covering it, laying out the timeline. But uh, check it out. The link's in our show notes tonight in the description down below. And uh, yeah, it's uh, fascinating. That is from uh, chilisauce.my, which is a news outlet. Uh, they do some unusual news here in Malaysia. <laughs> Usually cover the strange ones. So, hmm. Oh, what else we got? We got this one from Alvin Tan. Alvin, thank you for the stuff you share. I love your posts. They are public, so we don't put privatized posts or friends-only posts here on the stream. But if a post is, is public, it's public. So, this is brilliant. Please listen. This is some great advice. You're holding a cup of coffee. And someone comes along and bumps into you, shakes your arm, and makes you spill the coffee everywhere. Why did you spill the coffee? Because somebody bumped into me. Eh, wrong answer. You spilled the coffee because there was coffee in the cup. Had there been tea in the cup, you would have spilled tea. Whatever's inside the cup is what will spill out. Therefore, when life comes along and shakes you, which will happen, whatever's inside you will come out. It's easy to fake until you get rattled. So we have to ask ourselves, what's in our cups? When life gets tough, what spills out? Joy, gratefulness, peace, Humility, anger, bitterness, harsh words, reactions. Life provides you the cup. You choose how to fill it. Amazing. A really interesting take on life. And thank you, Alvin, for, uh, for sharing that. I saw that and I thought, mm, got, definitely got to share that on the show. <clears throat> Excuse me again. All right, we got one more for you, and then we're going to get on to our book because it's a long one. In fact, we may split this chapter into two parts. We're reading Tom Sawyer, by the way. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, <laughs> you know what a cephalopod is? This is a cephalopod, this amazing little creature. A cephalopod, this is from sciencealert.com, links in the show notes. A cephalopod has passed a cognitive test designed for human children. Seriously, a new test of cephalopod smarts has reinforced how important it is for us humans not to underestimate animal intelligence. You're right, incredibly deep on it. A cuttlefish which is what a cephalopod is in its common name, cuttlefish, 
which we love to eat here in Malaysia. I don't know about where wherever you may be watching, but... <laughs> Anyway, cuttlefish have been uh, put to a new version of the marshmallow test. The results appear to demonstrate that there is more going on in their strange little brains than we ever knew. Their ability to learn and adapt, the researchers said, could have evolved to give cuttlefish an edge in the cutthroat, eat-or-be-eaten marine world they live in. The marshmallow test is pretty straightforward. A child is placed in a room with marshmallows. And they're told if they can manage not to eat the marshmallow for 15 minutes, they'll get another marshmallow and be allowed to eat both of them. The ability to delay gratification, cognitive abilities like future planning is what it demonstrates. And it was originally conducted to study how human cognition develops specifically at what age a human is smart enough to delay gratification. I give you one now, you can eat it, but that's all you get. If you can wait 15 minutes, I'll give you two, and you can eat both of them. Delayed gratification. It's so simple it can be adjusted for animals. Obviously, you can't tell an animal. Um, they get a better reward if they wait. But you can train them to understand that better food is coming if they don't eat the food in front of them right away. Some primates can delay gratification along with dogs, albeit inconsistently. Uh, corvids, too, have passed the marshmallow test. But last year, cuttlefish passed a version of the marshmallow test. Scientists showed that common cuttlefish will refrain from eating a meal of crab meat in the morning once they've learned that dinner will be something they like better, like shrimp. And they've actually shown that they will wait because they know something better is coming. Cognitive tests. This is incredible, absolutely incredible. And we fry these things up and eat them. Maybe we shouldn't be. Imagine. Anyway, you'll find the, the whole story and everything from sciencealert.com. The link is in our show notes. Do check it out because it's, it's quite cool. It's a fascinating story. Uh, all right. What else we got going on here? Uh, our book. Yes, our book. Um, we have been reading Tom Sawyer. And as you know, on this show, we, the last half of the show, we always read a classic book. These are in the public domain. They come to us from the Gutenberg Project. And uh, Gutenberg.org, if you'd like to check it out. You can find all kinds of books. All the classics are there, from Moby Dick to uh, all the ones we've read here on the show. Uh, Peter Pan, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland, uh, we've, we've, Little Prince. We've done so many books. This is like a year's worth of shows here. And we read a chapter, or part of a chapter, every stream at the end of our show. Uh, about 20 minutes or so of reading. And then uh, we continue on until we get to the end of the book, move on to the next book. We decided to do Tom Sawyer uh, by the amazing uh, Mark Twain, of course, otherwise known as Samuel Clemens. Um, he wrote this in 1876. Uh, it was not as popular as his follow-up work, Huckleberry Finn, but uh, it was a commercial failure at first and then ended up being one of the best-selling novels of all time. Uh, Tom Sawyer was also 
the first novel to be written entirely on a typewriter. How cool is that? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, one note before we start reading this chapter is that uh, it was written in 17, 1876, and some of the words, while appropriate at the time, these days are considered vulgar. And we are reading it as it was written by Mark Twain, the way it was originally intended. If you find that offensive, you feel free to move along now. But we are reading the original work, which will include some words that in 1876 were accepted in polite society. Today, not so much. So, without further ado, we will move up and move on and get into today's chapter which is chapter four of The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. The sun rose upon a tranquil world and beamed down upon the peaceful village like a benediction. Breakfast over, Aunt Polly had family worship. It began with a prayer built up from the ground of solid courses of scriptural quotations, welded together with a thin mortar of originality. And from the summit of this, she delivered a grim chapter of the Mosaic Law, as from Sinai. Then Tom girded up his loins, so to speak, and went to work to get his verses. Sid had learned his lessons the day before. Tom bent all his energies to the memorizing of five verses, and he chose part of the Sermon on the Mount, because he could find no verses that were shorter. At the end of half an hour, Tom had a vague general idea of his lesson, but no more, for his mind was traversing the whole field of human thought. His hands were busy with distracting recreations. Mary took his book to hear him recite, and he tried to find his way through the fog. Blessed are the uh, uh, poor. Yes, uh, poor. Blessed are the poor uh, in spirit. Uh, in spirit. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they, they, theirs. Uh, for theirs, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <sighs> blessed are they that mourn, for they... Sh- for they, uh, S-H-A, for they, S-H, I don't know what it is, shall, oh, oh, shall, for they shall, and they shall, uh, shall mourn, uh, blessed are that they shall, that they, uh, they that shall mourn, for they shall, uh, shall, what? Why don't you tell me, Mary, why do you want to be so mean to me for? Tom, you poor, thick-headed thing. I'm not teasing you. I wouldn't do that. You must go and learn it again. Don't you be discouraged, Tom. You'll manage it. And if you do, I'll give you something ever so nice. There now. That's a good boy. All right. What is it, Mary? Tell me what it is. Never you mind, Tom. You know if I say it's nice, it is nice. You bet you so that's so, Mary. All right, I'll tackle it again. 
And he did tackle it again. And under the double pressure of curiosity and perspective, gained he did it with such spirit that he accomplished a shining success. Mary gave him a brand new Barlow knife, worth twelve and a half cents. And the convulsion of delight that swept his system shook him to his foundations. True, the knife would not cut anything, but it was a sure enough Barlow, and there was inconceivable grandeur in that. Though where the Western boys ever got the idea that such a weapon could possibly be counterfeited to its injury is an imposing mystery, and will always remain so, perhaps. Tom contrived to scarify the cupboard with it, and was arranging to begin on the bureau when he was called off to dress for Sunday school. Mary gave him a tin basin of water and a piece of soap, and he went outside the door and set the basin on the little bench there. Then he dipped the soap in the water, laid it down, turned up his sleeve, poured out the water on the ground gently, and then entered the kitchen and began to wipe his face diligently on the towel behind the door. But Mary removed the towel and said, Now ain't you shame, Tom. You mustn't be so bad. Water won't hurt you. Tom was a trifle disconcerted. The basin was refilled, and this time he stood over it a little while, gathering resolution, took in a big breath, and began. When he entered the kitchen presently, with both eyes shut, groping for the towel with his hands, an honorable testimony of suds and water was dripping from his face. But when he emerged from the towel, he was not yet satisfactory. For the clean territory stopped short at his chin and his jaws, like a mask. Below and beyond this line was a dark expanse of unirrigated soil that spread downward in front and backward around his neck. Mary took him in hand, and when she was done with him, she was he was a man and a brother without distinction of color, and his saturated hair was neatly brushed, and his short curls wrought into a dainty and symmetrical general effect. He privately smoothed out the curls with labor and difficulty, and plastered his hair close down to his head, for he held curls to be effeminate, and his own filled his life with bitterness. Then Mary got out a suit of his clothing that had been used only on Sundays during two years. Uh, they were simply called his other clothes. And so by that we know the size of his wardrobe. That girl put him to rights after she had dressed himself. He, she buttoned his neat roundabout up to his chin, turned his vast shirt collar down over his shoulders, brushed him off and crowned him with a speckled straw hat. He now looked exceedingly improved and uncomfortable. He was as fully uncomfortable as he looked. For there was a restraint about whole clothes and cleanliness that galled him. He hoped Mary would forget his shoes, but the hope was blighted, and she coated them thoroughly with tallow, as was the custom, and brought them out, 
he lost his temper and said he was always being made to do everything he didn't want to do. But Mary said persuasively, Please, Tom, that's a good boy. So he got into the shoes snarling. Mary was soon ready, and the three children set out for Sunday school, a place that Tom hated with his whole heart. But Sid and Mary were very fond of it. Sabbath school hours were from nine to half past ten, and then church service. Two of the children always remained for the sermon voluntarily, and the other always remained too, for stronger reasons. The church's high-backed, uncushioned pews would seat about 300 persons. The edifice was a small, plain affair, with a sort of pine-board tree box on top of it for a steeple. At the door, Tom dropped back a step and accosted a Sunday-dressed comrade. "'Say, Billy, got your yaller ticket?' "'Yes.' "'What do you take for "'What do you give?' piece of licorice and a fish hook. Let's see them, Tom exhibited. They were satisfactory, and the property changed hands. Then Tom traded a couple of white alleys for three red tickets and some small trifle or another for a couple of the blue ones. He waylaid other boys as they came and went on buying tickets of various colors ten or fifteen minutes longer. He entered the church now, with a swarm of clean and noisy boys and girls, proceeded to his seat and started a quarrel with the first boy that became handy. The teacher, the grave elderly man, interfered, then turned his back for a moment, and Tom pulled the boy's hair in the next bench and was absorbed in his book when the boy turned around. Stuck a pin in another boy presently in order to hear him say, Ouch! got a new reprimand from his teacher. Tom's whole class were of a pattern, restless, noisy, and troublesome. When they came to recite their lessons, not one of them knew his verses perfectly, but had to be prompted all along. However, they worried through, and each got his reward in small blue tickets, each with a passage of scripture on it. Each blue ticket was pay for two verses of the recitation. Ten blue tickets equaled a red one, could be exchanged for it. Ten red tickets equaled a yellow one. For ten yellow tickets, the superintendent gave a very plainly bound Bible, worth forty cents in these easy times, to the pupil. How many of my readers would have the industry and application to memorize 2,000 verses, even for a door Bible? And yet, Mary had acquired two Bibles in this way. It was the patient work of two years, and a boy of German parentage had won four or five. He once recited 3,000 verses without stopping, but the strain upon his mental faculties was too great, and he was little better than an idiot from that day forth. A grievous misfortune for the school, for on great occasions, before company, the superintendent, as Tom expressed it, had always made this boy come out and spread himself. 
Only the older pupils manage to keep their tickets and stick to their tedious work long enough to get a Bible. And so the delivery of one of these prizes was a rare and noteworthy circumstance. The successful pupil, who was so great and conspicuous for that day that on that spot every scholar's heart was fired with a fresh ambition that often lasted a couple of weeks. It is possible that Tom's mental stomach had never really hungered for one of those prizes. But unquestionably, his entire being had for many a day longed for the glory and the eclat that came with it. In due course, the superintendent stood up in front of the pulpit with a closed hymn book in his hand and his forefinger inserted between its leaves and commanded attention. When a Sunday school superintendent makes his customary little speech, a hymn book in hand is as necessary as the inevitable sheet of music in the hand of a singer who stands forward on the platform and sings a solo at a concert, though why is a mystery. For neither the hymn book nor the sheet of music is ever referred to by the sufferer. This superintendent was a slim creature of 35, with a sandy goatee and short, sandy hair. He wore a stiff, standing collar whose upper edge almost reached his ears, and whose sharp points curved forward abreast the corners of his mouth. A fence that compelled a straight lookout ahead, and a turning of the whole body when a side view was required. His chin was propped on a spreading cravat, which was as broad and as long as a banknote, and had fringed ends. His boot toes were turned sharply up in the fashion of the day, like sleigh runners, an effect patiently and laboriously produced by the young men by sitting with their toes pressed against the wall for hours together. Mr. Walters was a very earnest of men and very sincere and honest at heart, and he held sacred things and places in such reverence and so separated them from worldly matters that unconsciously to himself this Sunday school voice had acquired a peculiar intonation which was wholly absent on weekdays. And he began, after a fashion. Now, children, I want you all to sit up just as straight and pretty as you can and give me all your attention for a minute or two. There, that's it. That is the way good little boys and girls should do. I see one little girl looking out the window. I'm afraid she thinks I'm out there somewhere. Perhaps up in one of those trees, making a speech to the little birds. A plausive titter. I want to tell you how good it makes me feel to see so many bright, clean little faces assembled in a place like this. Learning to do right, be good, and so forth and so on. 
It isn't necessary to set down upon the rest of the oration. It was of a pattern which does not vary, and so it is familiar to all of us. The latter third of the speech was marred by the resumption of fights and other recreations among certain of the bad boys, and by fidgetings and whisperings that extended far and wide, washing even to the bases of isolated and incorruptible rocks like Sid and Mary. But now every sound ceased suddenly with the subsidence of Mr. Walter's voice, and the conclusion of the speech was received with a burst of silent gratitude. All right, that's where we're going to leave it for tonight, and we will pick up this chapter, which is a very long chapter, uh, coming up on our next live stream which will be on Saturday night. We are live Monday, Wednesdays, and Saturdays. We're reading through Tom Sawyer. Uh, we do uh, part of a book, a uh, classic book, until we get to the end and work our way through. So we'll have the, uh, the rest of that chapter coming up Saturday night. Jim, hey, a big hello to you. Sorry, I just saw your chat there. I missed it while I was reading, but uh, great to uh, have you along, Jim. All right. Thank you. I hope you got to catch a little of the show other than these last five minutes. But uh, yeah, we will see you again on uh, on Saturday night. I hope you can make it. 10 o'clock Malaysian time. You can figure out what hour that is wherever you are on the planet. We are uh, also, thank you to our uh, podcast listeners. Uh, you'll find us on all your podcast pl platforms, our audio only. All the stuff we talked about tonight is in our show notes below, including how to get a hold of us if you'd like to. You can email me directly, nopants at jsheldon.com. That's actually our email address. And uh, you'll find all of my social media accounts and everything also linked down below if you want to connect up that way. Please give us a subscribe on YouTube or uh, Twitch or Rumble and a follow on Facebook also. We appreciate all those of you who do. It helps a lot. Thank you. I will see you Saturday night. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night, folks. Yeah.